Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Oh, 
His divine grace, AC Paksivanda Swami Maharaj, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. This can be with the founder of Acharya Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Samavita Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. Jai Nitai Gaura Premananda Ki All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. Gaura Premanande Haribo. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Continuing in our reading of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Creation of the Fourth Order, Chapter 6, Brahma satisfies Lord Shiva. Text 23. This is after the description of Kailas. Dadrushus <coughs> Tatra. Ramyam Alakam Nam Vai Purim Vanam Saugantikam Chapi Yatra Tanam Pongajam Datrushus Tatra Te Ramyam Alakam Nam Vai Purim Banam saugam tikam chapi Yatratanam honkajam Dadrushus tatratiram yam Alakang nam of Ipurim Banam saugam tikam chapi Yatratanam honkajam
Tadrushu saw Tatra there in Kailasa. Te the demigods. Te the demigods. Ramyam very attractive. Alaka Alaka Nama known as Vai. Vanam forest Saugantikam Saugantika Ch and Ape even Yetra in which place Tatnama known by that name Pongajam species of lotus flowers Translation and purport by the His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Thus the demigods saw the wonderfully beautiful region known as Alaka and the forest known as Saugantika, which means full of fragrance. The forest is known as Saugantika because of its abundance of lotus flowers. Purport. Sometimes Alaka is known as Alakapuri, which is also the name of the abode of Kuvera. Kuvera's abode, however, cannot be seen from Kailasa. Therefore, the region of Alaka referred to here is different from the Alakapuri of Kuvera. According to Viradakava Acharya, Alaka means uncommonly beautiful. In the region of Alaka, the demigods saw, in the region of Alaka, the demigods saw there is a type of lotus flower known as Saugantika that distributes an especially fragrant scent. I'll read the next two verses also. Text 24. They also saw the two rivers named Nanda and Anakananda. These two rivers are sanctified by the dust of the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead my dear Kshatta Vidura, the celestial damsels come down to those rivers in their airplanes with their husbands, and after sexual enjoyment, they enter the water and enjoy sprinkling their husbands with water. Srila Prabhupada's purport. It is understood that even the damsels of the heavenly planets are polluted by thoughts of sex enjoyment, and therefore they come in airplanes to bathe in the rivers Nanda and Alakananda. It is significant that these rivers, Nanda and Alakananda, are sanctified by the dust of the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In other words, just as the Ganges is sacred because its water emanates from the toes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Narayana. So whenever water or anything is in touch with devotional service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, it is purified and spiritualized. The rules and regulations of devotional service are based on this principle. Anything in touch with the lotus feet of the Lord is immediately freed from all material contamination. What are the rules and regulations of devotional life based on? What principle?
Anything in touch with the lotus feet, the lotus and the root feet. Of what? Falling short of contamination. The damsels of the heavenly planets, polluted by thoughts of sex life, come down to bathe in the sanctified rivers and enjoy sprinkling water on their husbands. Two words are very significant in this connection. Vratikarshitaha means that the damsels became morose after sex enjoyment. Although they accept sex enjoyment as a bodily demand, afterwards they are not happy. Another significant point is that Lord Govinda, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is described here as Tirtapada. Tirta means sanctified place, and Pada means the lotus feet of the Lord. People go to a sanctified place to free themselves from all sinful reactions. In other words, those who are devoted to the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, automatically become sanctified. The Lord's lotus feet are called Tirtapada because under their protection, there are hundreds and thousands of saintly persons who sanctify the sacred places of pilgrimage. Srila Narottama Dasa Thakur, a great Acharya of the Gaudiya Vaishnava Sampradaya, advises us not to travel to different places of pilgrimage. Undoubtedly, it is troublesome to go from one place to another, but one who is intelligent can take shelter of the lotus feet of Govinda and thereby be automatically sanctified as a result of his pilgrimage. Anyone who is fixed in the service of the lotus feet of Govinda is called Tirthapada. He does not need to travel on various pilgrimages. For he can enjoy all the benefits of such travel simply by engaging in the service of the lotus feet of the Lord. Such a pure devotee who has implicit faith in the lotus feet of the Lord can create sacred places in any part of the world where he decides to remain. Tirthi Kurvanti Tirthani, Bhagavatam 1.13.10. I'm going to need someone after I finish reading this purport to find that verse, by the way. 113.10. If you could pull it up. Preferably on hard copy for me. The places are sanctified due to the presence of pure devotees. Any place automatically becomes a place of pilgrimage if either the Lord or his pure devotee remains or resides there. In other words, such a pure devotee who is engaged 100% in the service of the Lord can remain anywhere in the universe. And that part of the universe immediately becomes a sacred place where he can peacefully render service to the Lord as the Lord desires. So, what did y'all hear from that second purport, the longer one? Anything that stood out? One should not go to different places of pilgrimage, says Narutamdas Thakur. Good. Why? Well, he kind of said it in the next sentence. He said, there's a lot of trouble in traveling around. There's trouble if you travel around. But you can get the same result. But you can get the same result by staying anywhere where the devotees are serving Krishna. That's what it says in this verse also. We're going to go through that. 
Anything else that stood out from the fruit board? It, we read um, a couple verses. The main one is, yeah, so one, so four, six, 23 to 25. The longer purport is, is purport 25. So yeah, Krishna's feet are called Tirtapada. Anybody remember what that means? Right, his place are themselves a holy feet. Uh, his feet are themselves a holy place. Yes, hundreds and thousands of saintly persons take shelter there. And they can san they actually sanctify the holy places, yes. It's more enjoyable to receive the blessings of the holy rivers and waters than to engage in sex life. Yes, that was the first point that Prabhupada made when drawing it from the Sanskrit. Rati Karshita. So, one of the meanings of Rati is sexual enjoyment. Karshita means fatigued from. It can also mean emaciated, thin. When their sexual enjoyment is diminished. But one of the meanings of Karshita also means, uh, let's see, I looked it up earlier. Karshita is related to the word for troubling or hurting. So they're disturbed by, by sexual desire. It's actually an intrusion. It's a foreign thing for the, the spirit soul. But it's also present in the heavenly planets. That's why Prabhupada refers to it as even the damsels of the heavenly planets are polluted by thoughts of sex enjoyment because they're still in the material world. So there's still this intrusion. And he points out that after they have that experience, they're not happy. It doesn't satisfy the soul. So they accept it as a material demand, but it is a bodily material demand. It's not a spiritual demand. So they make their, they make, they, they take their bath in the river, which is itself purified. It's as good as the Ganga. This is a reference to the previous verse because those two rivers, Nanda and Alakananda, are sanctified by the dust of the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That's where you get this word, Tirtapada, it's actually in that verse. So, I wanted to talk about, if we have your blessings, I wanted to talk about mainly this, the, uh, the second point Prabhupada made in the purport about Tirtapada, the nature of sanctified places, this is a point that Prabhupada makes in several places. And he quotes here Nartanas Thakur. So he says, don't travel to different places of pilgrimage. So in, um, in material consciousness, one cannot be steady in anything. Actually, the soul is Satchit Ananda. And Sat means existence. It means being. And that itself indicates steadiness. It's not that the soul comes into being or comes out of being ever. That's indicated at the very beginning of the spiritual teachings of Bhagavad Gita, the second chapter. Never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you, nor all these kings. Nor will any of us cease to be. The soul does not come into being, has not come into being, will not come into being, does not disappear either. But uh, separated from this spiritual reality, one is constantly coming and going. And that's why this place is called Bhavarnava, the ocean of Bhava. Bhava literally means to become. 
It's the ocean of things coming into being and passing out of being. They're manifesting and unmanifesting. That's the nature of the material world. Much like an ocean has countless bubbles manifesting and unmanifesting, the bubble-like experience of everybody in the material world is coming and going. And identifying with that, the spirit soul is also coming and going. They're being dragged here and there. It's as asat, it's an asat existence. Everything is very temporary. On the other hand, spiritual life is actually uh, an experience of steadiness. The more advanced one is in Krishna consciousness, the more steady they are, actually. The less they're disturbed, the less they're moved around artificially. And we see in the teachings of Bhagavad Gita, also chapter 14, that the nature of the mode of passion is it creates fruited desires. It incites a sense of desire, it creates movement, and it gets things going. Um, it's the main impelling factor for this ashat kind of existence. Just like you see in the morning and throughout the day, the, a little bit of a microcosm of this at play with the modes of nature. In the, in the very early morning, we know this because by Pearl Prabhupada's mercy, we wake up pretty early. We see the world is actually pretty steady. Things are in kind of a steady place. There's not so much movement. This relative, because it is the material world. The other modes are still present, but less. And as the day goes on, you get to around noon, every kind of living being is more active. They're all more active. The birds are making all kinds of noises. The dogs are barking at other dogs, very self-importantly. The cats are going around, you know, looking at each other, doing cat things. You can see them here. You have Temple Cat Pritam doing cat things on the block with her cat friends. And you have uh, human beings doing a lot of human being things with great activity. They don't do that at 4 o'clock in the morning because the modes of nature aren't impelling them in the same way. So this moving around, this artificial moving around, is uh, contrary to the steady nature of the soul. And in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, we hear about the characteristics of very advanced devotees. Shantir avyata kalatvam, virata mani shunyata, ashabanda samudkanta, namagana sudaruchihi, asaktistad gunakyane, pritistad vasitistade. There's nine different things that actually characterize one at the level of bhava, ecstatic feeling for Krishna. And one of them is avyarta kalatvam, the desire to not waste even a second. These are all, by the way, um, very observable qualities. Kshantir means tolerance, forbearance. Avyarta kalatvam, they don't want to waste any time. Viraktir, they're very detached. Manashunyata, they don't desire any respect. You can see all these things, actually. Viraktir, manashunyata. How did it go? Ashabanda, they have great hope for their spiritual uh, desires to be fulfilled. Samutkanta, they're very eager to engage in devotional service. Namagana Sadaruchi, they have great taste for chanting Hare Krishna. They love to hear about the Lord's pastimes and they have great attraction to his places of pilgrimage. So, the one I want, want to bring out in this connection is that they have a Vyarta Kalatvam. They can't waste time. They're like really adver averse to wasting any time because they're so steady in Krishna's service that. Anything that pulls them away from that is, is very painful. They uh, are constantly engaged internally and externally in serving the Lord. And that's the natural condition of the soul, actually. 
And when one starts to realize that, they become a fiartakalatom. They don't want to waste any time not serving the Lord. So Prabhupada's making the connection that really a sanctified place, a sanctified place means any place that has these kinds of people. Because the nature of Krishna is that he distributes his own knowledge, his own bhakti, the, the feeling for and the knowledge of him through his devotees. That's his nature. He doesn't generally come and do it himself, although that, there are times when he does. But for the most part, the, uh, the avenue, the doorways, is association with his devotees. And that's what makes a saintly place saintly. That's what actually is to be sought out. So what's to be sought out is the association of persons who are steady. They're steady in their devotional practice. Srila Madhvacharya, he points out in his commentary on the first and eleventh canto, Evam Nama Kirtya Jatanurago Druta Chitta Uchai, that uh, Mahaprabhu quoted himself in uh, in the Adi Adilila Matilila to Sarvampatacharya that when one becomes advanced in their devotional practice, they develop a, a relationship with the names of Krishna. They develop, in fact, preferences for hearing certain names too. And their heart becomes very soft. They, they laugh, they dance, they cry, and they become actually completely indifferent to what external things are going on what, and what the common person thinks about them. Because they're deeply absorbed in, in glorifying Krishna. The ecstasy from that is overwhelming. And in the purport to that, our acharyas have given many statements. And one of them comes from Madhvacharya, who says that there are a series of, of, of uh, symptoms given in this verse. They're laughing like a crazy person. They can roll around. They can be crying. They can dance ecstatically. He says not all pure devotees show all of these symptoms, which is observable with our own you know, experience. Not all pure devotees are laughing all the time. Prabhupada restrained his ecstatic tears and his ecstatic dancing. They came out sometimes. You can see the ecstatic dancing sometimes at Ratiyatra. You can see his ecstatic tears sometimes, but n generally not. And Madhvacharya concurs that they're not always there. So they can be faked, and they can also uh, be avoided. But there are two things that can't be faked and can't be avoided. That means every single advanced devotee who is experiencing internally the same love for Krishna at this level has to have these two things. They don't not have them. They always have them, and they're always visible. And one is that their speech is very sweet and very uh, enlivening to others. And the other is that they're steady. They're steady in their practice. They won't be unsteady. <laughs> the more advanced they are, the less exception there is to that. So as one is advancing, they're sometimes steady, sometimes not. This is described by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in his Madhuri Kadambini. So you have uh, yeah, steady and unsteady devotional practice. And as one advances, the steadiness overtakes the unsteadiness until it's the exception when one is unsteady. And the more advanced one is, the closer they get to never being unsteady. They're actually always present for service. They're very, very eager. And that can't be faked. It's very, very advanced, actually, to find somebody who's always on time to see Krishna, who is very eager to do their service and is always there. And uh, interestingly, you can't tell just by taking a 
quick snapshot of, of a reality. Like, oh, okay, so it's 4.30 in the morning on a given morning and it's Mangalarti starting and there are like 15 people in the temple room, so these are all advanced devotees. No, you have to see over time who's never not there. <laughs> and that person is very advanced, uh, who always wants to be there and does everything in their power. That you can't fake because over time, there's always going to be some exception according to one's uh, influence from the modes of nature. But Krishna is saying, these are the kinds of people that actually purify the places of pilgrimage. These are the kinds of people that we're actually advised to spend time around. And he refers to this verse, Prabhupada does, from the first canto, 113.10. Let me just confirm again who's, who's speaking here. Yes, Yudhishthira Maharaj. He's glorifying Vidura. He's saying, my Lord, devotees like your good self are verily holy places personified because you carry the personality of Godhead within your heart. You turn all places into pil places of pilgrimage. And Prabhupada points out in the purport that the holy places all over the earth are meant for purifying the polluted consciousness of the human being by an atmosphere surcharged with the presence of the Lord's unalloyed devotees. If anyone visits a holy place, he must search out the pure devotees residing in such holy places, take lessons from them, try to apply such instructions in practical life, and thus gradually prepare oneself for an ultimate salvation, going back to Godhead. Going to some holy place of pilgrimage does not mean only to take a bath in the Ganges or Yamuna, or to visit the temples situated in those places. One should also find representatives of Vidura, who have no desire in life save and accept to serve the personality of Godhead. So, in material consciousness, because we're coming and going, even our spiritual practice is very flickering. We see that there's something of a funnel. You know, we chant Hare Krishna on the street and really thousands of people hear the name. Of the thousands, some, I don't know, hundreds start to become attracted to Krishna consciousness and want to know more. And of those, a few dozen will start to chant Hare Krishna as a daily practice. And of those, a smaller number actually stick with that for a couple of years. And of those, fewer still will stick it out for their lifetime. Because the nature of the mode of passion is to try to convince one that there's something else. The grass is always greener. Just do some other thing. And in this way, the living entity is led by the nose across the material world from one body to another, trying to find a taste which is present in their own relationship with Krishna and is not to be found anywhere else. And so the, uh, the nature of pilgrimage also relates to this. That's why Narutam Das Thakur says, don't go to many places of pilgrimage. Don't be... Um, starstruck by the the idea of going to so many different places and think well this will this will this will actually purify me this is the thing it's not going to different places that does it it's what you do when you're there and it's the nature of those places Nartanas Thakur and Prabhupada are helping us to understand what makes a sacred place sacred in India there are literally thousands and thousands of sacred places all of which are worshipable and there are millions of temples even temples of Vishnu, Krishna. But it's not that by going from one to the other, necessarily that's the thing that makes one purified because there's a very easy way in which by doing that, we can give in to the mode of passion and, to, and we'll no longer be convinced about the nature of bhakti itself, 
but instead be convinced about the nature of nectar hunting, jumping from experience to experience, which we've been doing. We're really good at that. We're really good at not committing to something. We're really good at saying I do to something or someone and then leaving them. <laughs> lifetime after lifetime, we've been doing that. That's our nature. We're pretty unfaithful. We're pretty fickle. We're pretty uh, unlikely to stay in a certain place and do something for a long time. And if we did that thing, if we stayed and stayed steady with bhakti, we would have no problems, actually. We'd be completely purified and completely happy. So Narottam Das Thakur is not saying holy places are bad. He's saying this tendency to jump around, this tendency to be fickle, is, is the problem. And it's not that these varieties of places are going to help you. One should understand what makes them sacred. And at the introductory level to bhakti, one can understand, okay, there's a sacred river, so I'll take a bath there, and I'll see a temple, and I'll see the deity, and that's it. And that's good, but it's not enough. And Prabhupada therefore goes out of his way to point out that the thing that really makes a sacred place sacred is the presence of devotees. Because even if the place is completely unholy, he uses that word in his purport, if a place is completely unholy, if a devotee goes there and decides, I'm going to serve Krishna here. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve Krishna right here. It becomes holy. The sacredness follows them. They don't go around hunting for sacred places. The purity hunts around for them. Where's a devotee? Where can I be with a devotee? Where can all the good qualities congregate? Where the devotees are? It's described in this way too. In the Shastra. Uh, and by the Acharyas. That the pure devotee doesn't desire liberation, but liberation herself approaches with folded hands, like a maidservant says, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? All the opulences of the heavenly planets follow the devotee. What can I do for you? Prabhupada came to the West with no money. He had actually a few rupees. He couldn't exchange them because it was illegal. By the rule of the Indian government, you couldn't exchange Indian rupees in America. So he still had him when he went back to India later. And when he was in America, you know, one wonders if he spent it on a rickshaw or what. <laughs> when he came to America, no money, but Sri Devi follows him, and all material opulence came and manifested because he's doing this pure service for Krishna, so all these temples spring up. And, you know, Prabhupada says, like, the materialists are so envious of us. They have to work so hard all day. All we're doing is chanting Hare Krishna, and we have wonderful facility, our clothes are new, and our food is wonderful, and the temple is there, and vehicles, and they're wondering, how did this happen? Because the goddess of fortune was very satisfied. All material and spiritual opulences followed him around because he was dedicated to service to Krishna. That's the reality. Prabhupada Saraswati sings in the Chandramrita. I think I have the reference here. Right, the pure devotee, they think that uh, merging into, into liberation is worse than hell. All the opulences of the material world, they're just like fantastical, uh, they're phantasmagoria. They're like a kind of flowery thing, pushpayate. They don't really exist. Tridashapur, all the opulences of the three worlds. The, um, the poisonous fangs of the serpent of time are removed for them. The entire universe is full of joy for them. Even this material world, the whole universe is full of joy. 
Because they actually engage in the service of Lord Chaitanya. And there's that statement in that verse that Trudashapur Akashan Pushpayate, all the attractions of the lower, middle, and heavenly planets are completely insignificant for such a devotee. They're stable, they can't be drawn away by the descriptions. Uh, in his translation of the fifth canto Bhagavatam, Prabhupada, he came upon um, a description of the heavenly planets. Uh, there's descriptions of lower, middle, and heavenly planets. And it was described by one of Prabhupada's disciples that Prabhupada actually deliberately uh, did not accentuate the glories of the heavenly planets in his description there because he didn't want people to become attracted to them because that's not the point of the Bhagavatam. And conditioned souls are reading the Bhagavatam by his mercy, mercy of Mahaprabhu. But one who's distracted by such things can hear about heavenly damsels, you know, and this place called Saugandika uh, that smells very nice. Actually, it's described in Bhagavatam that unlike the middle planetary systems where there's such a thing called body odor, that doesn't exist in the heavenly planets. There is no such thing. People smell like flowers. They wake up smelling like flowers. They look fresh. They're putting out light, effulgent faces. And one who's thinking in terms of material distinction and to make a comfortable space for themselves will think, oh, if I just went there, if I had my, my 40 virgins, <laughs> some traditions, actually every tradition talks about some kind of manifestation of just enjoying sex and that's perfection for you. And one who's distracted by the mode of passion will think, of course, that's what I'm missing. I'm missing 40 virgins. And it's just, it's just distraction. It's just akasha push piety. It's like the kind of nonsense you'll, you'll hear about on a radio station during the commercial break. If you're chanting Hare Krishna, if you're in the middle of a nice kirtan and someone walks in with a boombox, those things exist anymore. And they're playing like, I don't know, sports radio. And there's like one of those fast talking, annoying commercials where they're like, I don't know, trying to sell you some nonsense. You just throw them out the door so fast. It's so, it's so useless, the message they're giving. You're in the middle of the kirtan, they come talking to you about the latest deal at Walmart. This is what the pure devotee thinks when they hear about the, the opulences of the heavenly planets. What to speak of the opulences of this planet, what to speak of hell, is completely insignificant. They have no desire for it. It's like you're feasting on Mahaprasadam in, in, uh, in the airplane, and the flight attendant comes and says, can I offer you a plate of nonsense? And you say, no, I have, you know, rasgulas from Rasagyaprabhu. I have like all I can eat of, of my favorite Mahaprasadam. Of course I don't want your nonsense. It's just, there's no question of it. There's not even a second where you're distracted. It's like, just go away. So this is the pure devotee. They don't have any experience of being drawn around. So we have to look for persons like that. We have to find persons who are not distracted. And that's uh, an observable phenomenon. Who is not distracted in devotional service? Who is very interested in being there? Who has this uh, urgency to chant Hare Krishna? All these other qualities of the nine symptoms of Baba. Who is eager to hear, loves the places of pilgrimage of Krishna, which is an interesting distinction too, because Narasimha Vastakra says don't travel around, but Baba says you love being with the places, the places where Krishna had his pastimes, because they have to do with Krishna. It's not because you get to jump on a plane and like, now you're doing it, you know, now I'm traveling. No, they are steady in their service. At the same time, they're also attracted to Vrindavan Dham because it's Krishna's abode. They're attracted to Mayapur Dham. And the place where they're living, could be Denver, Colorado, could be anywhere else in the material world, becomes Vrindavan, becomes Mayapur, becomes Jagannath Puri. 
So these symptoms are there to help us gauge who do I need to be around? Who do I, who do I need to hear from? Who do I need to model my life around? I want to be like them because if I'm like them, I'm freed from attraction to these heavenly situations. I'm freed from bondage to the hellish situations. And I'm freed from the life in the material middle world where you have some heavenly planet kind of experience if you go to Hawaii, I guess, and some hellish planet experience. If you stay here for a couple months, it's gonna get a little bit tough. <laughs> but the pure devotee can do that because they're free. They're not, they're not troubled by that anymore. They can stay in Hawaii and serve Krishna with the Panchatattva there, and they can stay in Denver, Colorado and distribute books every day. So this is uh, our, our guidance. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to follow this. Otherwise, we're just going to be continuing our, our flicking around the different channels on the um, universal radio station, thinking if I just had that, if I just had that, I'd be happy. If I just had that, we've already had it. It was really insignificant. It was so bad you don't even remember it. Please don't waste your time anymore, says the Bhagavatam, says the pure devotees. Try to find persons who are fixed and realize uh, gradually, step by step, that that fixity is your own nature. And if you accept that and you start to move towards it, you'll feel better, you'll feel happy. Unlike the celestial damsels who have such a wonderful quality of life we can't even imagine in this world. They have the best food, the best sex, the best clothes, the best everything. And it's just a source of morose unhappiness without Krishna consciousness. So those are some thoughts, Om Tat Sat. Um, I think that's all I have. And we can take comments, questions, reflections. So to summarize, we heard about how the heavenly damsels have the, their experience of sense gratification, but it doesn't satisfy. And we heard about Tirthapada, how the Lord's feet are actually the very source of all purification, and they make a, a sacred place sacred, specifically through the mercy of his devotees who are fixed in his service. We listed the symptoms of Baba, of which one of, one of them, especially important, is Avyartakalatvam. Um, um, a strong aversion to wasting time, i.e. they want to spend as much time as, pos as possible in Krishna's service. And we talked about how those persons are to be sought out by us. And to be avoided is a tendency to jump around, flick flicker around the material world thinking that some other experience is going to satisfy us. Because if we carry that into our bhakti, we will neglect the jewel in our hands, the jewel of, of, of actual absorption in Krishna. Krishna Nam Seva, Krishna uh, association with his devotees so on and so forth. So now we can take reflections, questions, comments, anything else? Yes? No, what I was saying is so interesting about the Holy Dham is sometimes um, devotees will go to the Holy Dham and they'll love being there so much because they feel spiritually uplifted they, that we can, we can like ride like stay really spiritually buoyant from it, uh, but then, but then we find that devotees they'll they'll, they'll decide they want to live there, and then what's interesting is, is um, in holy places when when we, we decide to live there, in some ways we we have that responsibility to become those saintly people, and if we're not, it can be really really difficult and we can't stay. Yeah, that's very true. Being in uh, being in the Dom, the Vrindavan in particular, being in the Dom uh, without uh, a service schedule, without a clear plan of what to do, without the sanction of devotees who 
you know, who's you're working under and you have a goal in your spiritual practice can lead to spacing out and that spacing out is actually a really painful experience, particularly in Vrindavan. Mayapur you can get away with it to some degree because Mahaprabhu is so merciful. But in Vrindavan especially, um, you'll, you'll find it hard actually to even chant your rounds. You'll be actually forced out. Um, so we have this experience that, uh, you know, my Guru Maharaj for many years has been reading for several hours a day, usually like around five hours a day, every day during Karti, which is a very strict Vrata of devotional practice. And in Govardhan. In Govardhan. In Govardhan. What did I say? You didn't say that. In Govardhan, yeah. Um, and it's, a, it, it's, it's not nothing. It's pretty significant. Um, having, by his mercy, engaged in it to some degree, I can tell you that it's incredibly purifying and glorious, but it's, it's not something that you can um, you, can, you can't overlook how challenging it can be. You have to kind of surrender to it, in other words. And many people come and try to do it, but if they haven't actually, if they're not really serious about it, we find that after a day or so, they'll have to go somewhere else because their mind isn't fixed on the principle that the devotees there locally are, are, are surrendering to. I also find that when my Guru Maharaj leaves, usually a few days before I do, I find it very, very hard to keep up the same level of practice because I'm simply not there. And by his association, I can chant and read for that many hours a day. I'm simply not that qualified on my own, which just proves the point of today's class. It's really the association of the devotees and their own fixity that empowers us to come to some degree of, of approaching that in our own practice. And if you don't have that, you whimsically try to travel around, even to a great place like Vrindavan, you'll generally find it very difficult and you'll be... Um, impelled to do one of two things, uh, to seek out devotees and get a very clear uh, service schedule and serve them in humility, and then you'll be purified by that tremendously, or you'll have to leave, actually, because you can't practice um, in a lackadaisical way there. The, the internal energy of the Lord simply won't allow it, because she runs the show in Vrindavan Dham. So it's a, it's a very interesting phenomenon. I've had, you know, spacing out the Dham is like just the worst, most painful experience. You really feel that pressure, yoga maya. But it's very purifying too, you realize, well, I gotta surrender, I'm not there yet. Uh, but there's always the Dina Bandhus and others doing service there, so if you just seek them out and just try to do something for them, especially hear from them, you, you'll, be, uh, you'll be safe. And especially if you have a program where you go in and with devotees, you're not just whimsically jumping around the world, globe-trotting for Krishna. If you actually have a program you're following, then, um, you're, you're usually really protected from that. Yeah. More comments, questions, or questions? Thanks. Uh, thank you. Yeah, really interesting uh, to uh, topics. There's w um, something that I'm remembering that Archbishop Prabhu in LA, um, the story he tells on this, in this kind of these topics. Speaking of fixity and practice, Archita Prabhu is a great, he's a great, uh, he's like a pillar of, of the Dwarka community. Yeah. So yeah. steady. Um, yeah, particularly the Bhagavatam classes, because he's there to um, always kind of pull out things and, and um, correct things if they need to be corrected. And um, One thing he says about this is that one he was sitting with, uh, he didn't say who's one of his godbrothers who's uh, a guru. And the guru was telling, confiding in him 
that um, he said, my rascal disciples, they're always asking me, Gurudev, can I go here? Gurudev, can I go there? Gurudev, can I go over here? He says they don't know that wherever they go, their mind will go with them. Mm. Their problems will go with them. Nice. And so, um, yeah, as, as winter's approaching, I'm, I've been thinking, you know, I'm gonna sh- maybe I should go to California, go back, go to Southern California. Um, uh, but yeah, there's, there's things that, exter- that can change from that on kind of an external platform. Um, but it, it doesn't uh, fill the hole in the heart, which is a Krishna-sized hole. It needs to be filled with Krishna consciousness. And, um, so yeah, when one can stay in one place, focus on that, and become truly satisfied, it seems. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, wherever you go, there you are. That's what it means. More? Yes, Mother Nidra? Other comments on that? So, Srila Prabhupada's approach to Vrindavan Mayapur and Puri is, um, was that, well, he wanted to have temples there. That's one thing. And for, for Vrindavan and Mayapur, he, he actually did establish his kind temples there. And he wanted there to be a place for devotees to come and, uh, and to experience the spiritual atmosphere, like he says in the purport of the first canto verse. The holy places all over the earth are meant for purifying the polluted consciousness by an atmosphere surcharged with the presence of the Lord's unalloyed devotees. Um, Prabhupada had so much faith in the doms and the pastimes that had been performed there by the Lord and his, his associates. And he wanted to bring the same flavor of practice and focus that he brought with him to the West and around the world back into those places. Because there are already temples there. He, he didn't, you could make a case he didn't have to establish new temples. He wanted there to be the Iskon flavor. He wanted there to be a Bhagavatam class with a focus just like we have in this Bhagavatam class. He wanted there to be devotees who stay there and make, uh, do serious service, just like devotees stay in Denver, Colorado and do serious service. And when you meet somebody like Dinavantu Prabhu, who has committed to Vrindavantam and is steeped in the history of Vrindavan and the Kata, then when you're there and you hear from that person, you can actually experience Vrindavan. Or if he comes here to you, we had that recently when he came, we actually were all transported to Vrindavan because he lives in Vrindavan, it never leaves him. And uh, that was possible because he stayed in the geographic Vrindavan and did some serious service, some serious hearing, and some, some surrendered practice. And Prabhupada wanted there to be devotees like that. 
and he wanted there to be um, a practice and a place where you could practice in our morning program like that in the Dom, so that devotees could have two realizations when they come from around the world. One, that this practice is just the same as our practice back home and is, is the same essential lifeblood as what we have. And two, this feeling I have in the Dom is actually the feeling of being home. This uh, association and this kata and this time of year, these are very dear to Krishna and one should start to become attracted to them. This is a symptom of advancement. One becomes advanced in priti, affection for the Lord's places of pastimes. That's the, the ninth symptom of bhava listed in the verse I quoted earlier. And that happens by association. When you go there with the association of Adina Bandhu Prabhu and so forth, you will become attracted to Vrindavan And that helps uh, unburden one of all the different, you know, anxieties of dealing with the billboard. Well, not billboards now that we have a Hare Krishna Mahamantra and cult facts, but the useless nonsense of that, that the preacher has to deal with in the middle of a city that's primarily non-devotional. We're acting as a bubble of devotion in that city, but still we have to come in contact. So Prabhupada was very practical and understood there's going to be some impurities that you know we pick up from our practice, go and get purified in, in the Dham, become more attracted to it, become attracted to Krishna's pastimes, attracted to Mahaprabhu's pastimes, and also um, use it as a way to fuel your own engagement in, in, in the Sankirtan Yaka when you go back. You know, you get a lot of mercy in, in Mayapur and Vrindavan. And if you go there for yourself, it's not a bad thing, but if you go there for the sake of actually deepening your attachment to your Guru's orders, that's a really, really good thing. You get a lot of mercy and a lot of empowerment so that you can go back and make devotees and convince because you'll, you'll actually be carrying your own deep realization that Krishna lives there, he's doing his thing there, he's dancing with the gopis in Vrindavan, Mahaprabhu is still chanting Hare Krishna in the streets of Mayapur. You'll feel that. People will hear that from you, and they'll feel it too. And by doing that, committing to your service, whether it's preaching or sewing garlands, whatever it may be, in the other parts of the world where people are sadly unaware of the glories of the Dham, then you can bring that with, back with you. That's your responsibility. That's what Prabhupada expected of us. So in that way, whether you stay in Vrindavan like Dina Bandhu, or you come and go, like many of the rest of us, we're always um, deepening our attraction for the, the Dham as our eternal home and bringing the glories of it back to everyone else who hasn't heard about it so they can become attracted. And this dual function elevates us and elevates everyone else. And that's, that's the kind of culture Prabhupada uh, wanted us to have. Not a culture of jumping around um, and nectar hunting for our own self sake, but everything in connection with the Sankirtan Yajna. So I hope that was a useful, satisfactory answer. Anything else? All right, I feel purified having come in contact with all of you and Srila Prabhupada Acharyas and today's verses. So we'll uh, try to apply what we've heard about finding persons with those qualities and hear from them. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Vansha Kalpatrupyashtra, Kripasin Tribhivacha, Patitana Bhavani, Pio Vaishnavi, Pio Namon Maha. Haribo. What's that?
she's uh, she's the dom, that's for sure. The first time I met her was in Vrindavan, actually. 